Hello, everyone, and welcome to FabGab. This is the podcast of the International Journal of Feminist Approaches to Bioethics. And I'm your host today, Kate McKay. And today I'm joined by Carolyn McLeod from Western University. Hi, Carolyn. Hi, Kate. How are you doing? I'm good. Yes. Good. <laughs> Thank you for being here in your evening. And your morning. In my morning. And I appreciate it very much. So today we'll be talking about um, a narrative piece that Carolyn wrote for the special issue in IJFAB on the work of Sue Sherwin. Carolyn's piece is entitled, My Relational Autonomy and My Relationship with Sue Sherwin. So um, this is an interesting piece. There are sort of three narratives that come together to frame the issue. And um, these short narrative pieces kind of reflect on people's different experiences with Sue. And so I wondered, Carolyn, if you could give us a bit of a recap for the listeners about what your narrative piece was reflecting on and kind of what you wanted to bring into um, the issue there. Sure, Kate. Um, so there are really two parts to my piece, uh, or two kind of dimensions of it, one being a more personal dimension and another philosophical. So on the personal side, I'm, I'm just reflecting on my relationship with Sue Sherwin. Uh, she was my PhD supervisor many, many years ago. <laughs> and I talk about in the piece how uh, my relationship with her uh, has fostered my relational autonomy, um, which is roughly autonomy that we achieve through certain kinds of relationships with others. Uh, so my relationship with her did it did that fostered my autonomy not only while she was my PhD supervisor, setting me up for the career that I have, um, but also later uh, later on even now when we're not uh, certainly not in touch as much as we were back then, uh, you know. She's, as I say in the piece, she's really been kind of the voice inside my head throughout my career when I've had to make difficult decisions about it. So that's the personal end of the piece. And then the more philosophical end is just reflecting on what that story that I give about my relationship with Sue tells us about the nature of relational autonomy, mm -hmm. um, which is something I've you know, talked about in my own work, but I think it was interesting for me to reflect on how a particular relationship that I've had, um, what it reveals about, about relational autonomy. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that it was actually really interesting to read and reflect on because, um, the discussion of relational autonomy is really prominent and it was really important to Sue in her work, as I understand it. And so I was curious because, um, yeah, I guess I was kind of curious about why it was important to you to talk about it. Um, in this piece, and it sounds like it's kind of related to this dual side, the fact that it was a personal experience, but it's also had a professional impact, if I could put it that way, or it's become a professional interest? Yeah, I mean, you know, it was, it's been an interest of mine since the beginning. I mean, it was one of the topics of my dissertation, um, which became a book. Um, so, you know, I've written about relational autonomy on and off for 20 years. Um, but, you know, I, I, why did I focus on that in this piece? I mean, there's so much to Sue's work. I could have talked about lots of different topics or concepts that she's um, written about. Um, but, you know, 
I think partly I was, I think, asked to reflect on the relational autonomy bit because others weren't doing that. <laughs> also, I, you know, I had recently written a paper about it, so it was kind of fresh in my mind. Um, but it really just, you know, allowed me to, I think, honor Sue and what she's done for me, uh, while at the same time write something that's somewhat philosophical for, a, for an academic journal. Yeah. Yeah. And so I actually wanted to ask you what it was like to write this piece because um, IJFAB, the journal, has a sort of narrative section. And I thought it was interesting. It's really nice that the issue starts out with a few, um, a few narratives of this style. And it kind of gives the issue a very personal feel, which I don't think I often encounter in um, academic writing. And so I was curious about what it was like to write this. Um. You know, I've done something like that before, mm -hmm. uh, like the first book that I published, which I mentioned earlier. Um, that's the one I, on trust, right? Yeah, self-trust and yeah. reproductive. Uh, you know, I remember many years ago, we had a, a panel about the book at um, CSWIP, Canadian Society mm -hmm. for Philosophy. And, you know, I was asked to say something about the book at the beginning. And, um, and I ended up writing a narrative and talking mm -hmm. about um, you know, my recent experience with a friend of mine who, who had an unwanted pregnancy and ended up having an abortion. And I went with her and was with her through the whole experience and, um, you know, talking about, uh, how important self-trust was for her in that particular situation. Mm -hmm. Um, so anyway, so I've done that kind of thing before and I, I really, I do enjoy it and I'd, I'd like to do more of it. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, particularly reflecting, I think, on my own experiences around parenting, um, you know, my sort of reproductive ethics has been a, a specialty of mine for a long time, but I have never um, reflected much on my own experiences around mm -hmm. that. So, mm -hmm. yeah, no, I'd like to do it more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think something that um, Letitia, Menel said, who was one of the guest editors, was that it gives, um, it allows a way into a topic that otherwise not, might not be afforded just by, you know, trying to convince someone through argument. So it gives a kind of window into a new experience. It's almost like, it's like reading any kind of firsthand account, whether that be, I think, fictional or um, biographical. It's kind of like getting into another space and it kind of allows an opening sometimes. Yeah, I think it definitely, I think it's worthwhile doing for that reason. Um, you know, and also generally, I think feminist uh, ethicists are committed to uh, there being an important role for personal experience in ethical thinking, personal or lived experience. Um, mm -hmm. You know, that's true for phenomenologists, but I think it's true generally for feminists ethicists um and you know so i think having them there helps to understand you know wh why we're, we do what we do why we theorize about these things and how we're theorizing about them and from what perspective we're doing that so mm -hmm. yeah yeah mm -hmm. could i ask you about uh the more sort of philosophical side of the narrative for sure i was um curious about because in the narrative you just give two brief um, descriptions of two misinterpretations of relational autonomy that you find common in the literature. And um, I guess I was curious. I mean, they really piqued my curiosity. I was like, oh, 
what's Carolyn thinking about these? And um, so I wondered if you could maybe just say something about those two misinterpretations and um, where you're going to take them forward, because I think you mentioned in the narrative that you'd like to explore that more. Sure, you know, I'd like to. Yeah, I wouldn't say what I what I described as misinterpretations. I wouldn't say they're common um, okay. in the literature. I've certainly heard them like at conferences and um, experienced them less within the literature. Mm. But you know, they are there, and I think I think really they concern what kinds of relations um, really do foster our autonomy. So I think you know the main insight of relational autonomy theorists is that, you know, at bottom, our autonomy is fostered, uh, you know, only through certain kinds of relationships with others, but, but what kinds, I mean, what, what are the relationships that really, you know, allow us to be autonomous or important for autonomy? And, and I think sometimes bioethicists interpret those too narrowly as sort of care relations. So they, they mm. some late, what, I would call relational ethics with care ethics. Um, but I don't think all the important relationships for our autonomy are care relations um, or relations, you know, in which we receive care. Uh, so they might, you know, important relationships might be just ones that give us insight, but not care. Um, so I think that it's not, I don't think relational ethics and care ethics are the same thing and that kinds of relations that you focus on in care ethics are not the only kind that can foster our autonomy. Mm -hmm. uh, I also think sometimes the literature um, sort of fails to acknowledge how negative some of our relationships can be for our autonomy. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, relational autonomy theorists say that certain kinds of relationships are crucial for our autonomy, you know, basically those that provide us with uh, what we need in order to understand what we want um, or should want and act on our wants. So they provide us with things like skills we need to, you know, reflect on our values, um, uptake for uh, our interpretations of our own experiences or emotions. Uh, they provide us with information that are, is crucial, these sorts of things. So, you know, Relationships that do that are important for our autonomy, but of course, some relationships are really toxic for mm -hmm. our autonomy. And I think some of the literature um, doesn't doesn't recognize that fully. It sort of you know talks about how relational autonomy, you know, encourages us to preserve relationships or you know value relationships, but that's just that's just too broad, right? Right relational autonomy theory actually encourages us to dispense with some relationships <laughs> and them <laughs> quickly <laughs> very negative as far as our autonomy is concerned so um so yeah i mean i you know some of these these pieces i'm um, maybe i'm being too nitpicky they're they're kind of short pieces in bioethics I mean, they just didn't have enough time to relate but <laughs> mm. but uh but I think it's really what's really important in talking about relational autonomy is, is thinking about what are the relations that are valuable as far as our autonomy is concerned and, and which ones are, are not. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I think difficult territory, really. Um, but it gets, I'm really interested in that kind of 
question as well and kind of about how we figure out which ones are the ones that are good and which ones are the ones that are undermining from inside that scenario because surely it's not always easy to tell no yeah and you know ones that might feel kind of negative or not very positive might actually be important for our autonomy you know mm -hmm. the relationships with people who really kind of push us to think carefully about you know whether we should really value what we claim to value and um you know those kinds those relationships can be very uncomfortable mm -hmm. uh, but they might be very positive as far as our autonomy is concerned mm -hmm. um, and others that feel really good uh, might actually be uh you know really holding us back so, mm -hmm. so yeah I think, uh, you know, I think Sue's work and a lot of, you know, other feminist work on relational autonomy is quite, it's subtle and it's complex and, mm -hmm. you know, the simple message relationships are good for autonomy is not, not the message um, of those papers. It's more complicated than that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess as a final question for you, Carolyn, I wonder if there's if it's possible, <laughs> if there's kind of a major idea or, um, I don't know, set of concepts or something really important that you would like for people, a next generation of scholars um, and people who read um, the special issue to take away from Sue's work or I don't know, maybe from her life, maybe from the way she's modeled her career, because that seems to have been something that was really important for you. So what would you kind of, what would you sort of look back over your experiences with Sue and Sue's work and sort of hope that the next generation inherits from what she's accomplished? Yeah, you know, there's so many things I could say, say in response to that. I mean, you know, you mentioned just how she goes about, uh, not necessarily what specific topics she works on, but you know how what she does with those topics um you know one thing sue always did was you know engage the public and try to make her work really um have an impact um you know on on public policy she wrote for for public audience often um so she was doing what we you know we now call public philosophy which which has become or publicly engaged philosophy which is you know uh become something that everybody wants to do but i mean she's been doing she did that for 30 40 years ago um mm -hmm. so you know that's something that i certainly took from my relationship with her was the need to think not not always but you know some of the time about uh why this is important and how i could engage the public um on the topics that i'm working on and another thing too is i mean she, her work was very interdisciplinary. She worked in interdisciplinary teams again before that became, you know, popular. <laughs> Something right. that we're all do in academia <laughs> um, that some of us are still resisting. You know, like, <laughs> she did that, you know, decades ago, and um, so she really modeled for me the value of doing interdisciplinary work. Um, sort of the the challenges that can come with that work but and how to how to try to cope with, with those challenges um you know so i i learned so much that made 
made it kind of, uh, you know, easy for me to meet the challenge that we're all facing now to do more interdisciplinary and more publicly engaged sort of philosophy. So, um, yeah, I mean, her, her method was uh, probably the most um, influential for me, the way she did philosophy. Um, but of course, all these topics that she focused on were influential too, like in relational autonomy was a big one. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so interesting. And I don't, I think I'm really interested in how you describe in your narrative that even when you were deciding whether or not to become the chair of the department, you thought about Sue and how she tried to really make a difference in philosophy departments at the time. And taking on the chair role was one of the ways in which she really tried to um, live the things that she was committed to in her work, is how it sounds. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Sure. I mean, you know, she was making an impact, um, you know, at that level, at the level of the university and the department of philosophy um, by, you know, making it an environment in which uh, women could thrive, feminist philosophers could thrive. And, you know, at the time, and it's still true, unfortunately, to some extent today, that that, that was rare. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, I, I went to that department after having pretty awful experiences <laughs> in philosophy and, you know, being almost ready to leave it entirely. Um, and, you know, it was just, it was a joy to be there. So she's had that impact on the discipline uh, and particularly her own department. Um, but then, you know, she also had an impact on health policy in Canada. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Particularly yeah. reproductive policy, but other policy too. So, so yeah, I mean, you know, I just hope that when I retire, I can look back and say that I've had a career that's even somewhat close to what hers was like. So. Yes, I actually think that you will be quite comfortably able to say that, Carolyn. <laughs> I know from my own experience of being your undergraduate student and how you shaped my career without realizing it as well. Or maybe you've realized some of it, but maybe you haven't realized the extent to which you've played a really similar role for me. That's nice. Thanks, Kate. Yeah. Well, thank you. <laughs> yeah. um, thanks so much for speaking with me, Carolyn. It's been really great. People who are interested in reading the issue can find a link in this episode's notes. And you can find the other episodes of FabGab on Anchor, on Spotify, on iTunes, and wherever else you get your podcasts of quality. Thanks so much for listening. Bye.